Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a loaded podcast for you today. Three guests take us through week five in college football. We'll start it off with Mr. Relevant, Trevor Sikama, pro football focus. He's going to come on. We're going to talk a little SEC, some guys that have helped their stock so far, and guys that he likes a little bit more than everybody else. We've got a bunch of names we're going to cover with Trevor Sikama. After that, Saturday scouting. Ben Fennel, you know the deal. We're here talking the biggest matchups, hitting your TV this Saturday. Ross Tucker is back for pick six. We're going to go through our picks for this week in college football. As always, make sure you head on over, rate, review, subscribe. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will answer it in the upcoming episodes. That said, let's start it off. We've got Trevor Sikama, top of the show. It's time for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, really excited to welcome in a guy that uh, it's been too long since you've been on the podcast here, Trevor Sikama uh, from Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter just like I do at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, this week here for Mr. Relevant, also the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, uh, one of the the latest podcasts that I've added uh, to my uh, to my listening uh, my listening habits here, Trevor. Uh, you guys started back in the spring before the 2022 draft, and uh, I've been listening along the whole way, man. So uh, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming on once again. Fran, it's always good to talk to you. I know there are, well, just so short of a billion football podcasts out there. For So for you to say that you even catch a couple of episodes of us, uh, I really appreciate it, man. We're having a lot of fun on there, and I know we're going to have fun today. This is always a good time, so I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, let, let's start this because I know you're a, a proud Gator, a, a proud Florida alum. You always have your eyes in Gainesville, and so uh, I do want to ask you about uh, one of the biggest names in college football here for the 2022 season, and that's Anthony Richardson, the quarterback for the Florida Gators, still very early in his career, and so uh, we've seen a little bit of ups and downs and I know you've been doing uh, the constant like Heisman checks uh, on Anthony Richardson and so I want to ask you just the, the temperature check uh, what are your thoughts on where he's at where he'll be a year from now two years from now three years from now are you expecting him to be in the draft next year or you think hey I'm going to stay put uh, and win uh, win some more games down here in college how, how do you expect his career to progress here in the in the coming years yeah, it all obviously depends on how he kind of finishes out this year, whether or not we see him in this draft class. And, you know, just going into this season, there were a lot of people who had really high expectations on him. I was cautiously optimistic. You know, Florida hasn't really had somebody, a quarterback that they could point to, that they could say like, yes, this is absolutely a stud. Because even you remember when Kyle Trask is putting up big numbers, it took forever to Kyle Trask, for Kyle Trask to be the starting quarterback over Felipe Frank. So it's been a while since Florida really had this, what if I'd star at quarterback that they could invest in that, Hey, maybe down the road, maybe he ends up being a Heisman candidate. And we saw just flashes of what Anthony Richardson could do last year. And, you know, we, we went into the season and I'll be guilty of this. I'll put my hand up a little bit. We were hyped up about it. You know, people sure. were already putting Anthony Richardson in first round conversations, top 10 conversations because of those flashes of unbelievable physical abilities that he has both with his legs and with his arm and, you know, I was wearing 15, 15, so it's reminiscent of Tebow a little bit there in Florida. But at the end of the day, man, this guy had started what, like two games, three games going yep. into the season. I think yep. against Utah, it was like his third game starting ever. And we had already kind of crowned this guy as a potential first rounder. Then, of course, Florida beats Utah. Anthony Richardson has a fantastic game and people go, oh, top 10 lock. Let's just get right to it. I'm already ordering the jersey for teams that were picking in the top 10. And of course, he struggled a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and it's to be expected. You know, I think that it was always going to be a roller coaster with Anthony Richardson. As much as I felt like it was time to move on from Dan Mullen, and a big reason why people wanted to move on from him is because Dan was not playing Anthony Richardson last year. The guy was young. I think that if it was this blatantly obvious Anthony Richardson was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football, I think Dan Mullen probably would have been playing him. And so I think that we took that a little far and we're seeing it now with Richardson. You look at a lot of the stats. He's only got four big time throws. He's got six turnover worthy plays and even the adjusted completion percentage, which takes away drops, takes away things outside of his control. Even that's barely above 60%, which is not what it needs to be. Yep. Richardson has all the talent in the world. He has incredible physical ability, but it is, it's not even close to being fully refined yet. So ultimately, 
I don't think that he is going to enter his name into this upcoming draft class. I think it's probably going to be 2024 at the earliest, but I'm excited for that because we get two more years of Anthony Richardson to develop. And hopefully by the time he gets in the draft, whenever that is, he is a polished high ceiling machine at quarterback. Cause I do think the potential is there for him. So a year ago at this time, no one from a, a national standpoint, unless you're like following like recruiting rankings, but for, certainly from an NFL draft standpoint, no one knew who Anthony Richardson was. So I want to ask you, who's a guy that right now we're not like really aware of from a national standpoint, but a year from now, we're all going to be like, oh yeah, like this guy is, is a stud at Florida. Maybe he's going to be in this draft. Maybe he won't be, but who's a guy that you're like, oh yeah, like watching this team every week or as often as you do, uh, you, you have a good sense of what, what this guy's going to be in the NFL. So like for maybe like everybody talking about him, the name that probably steps out to me the most is, is Brent Cox Jr. Yep. But I think people have kind of talked about him a little bit. So he's not that out of nowhere guy. A lot of people like Gervin Dexter as well, the defensive tackle from Florida. Another guy who has a lot of really high physical abilities. But you know what? In the spirit of the question, somebody that maybe not a lot of people are talking about, I'll go with Ventrell Miller. I'll go with their linebacker nice. there now. You've been around a long time. So if you follow Florida football or SEC football before, you, you know Ventrell Miller. He's been starting since 2019. This is a sixth-year senior. He tore his bicep last year and what was going to be a redshirt senior year for him, and that was going to be it. But because of the COVID season where everybody gets a free year of eligibility, he ends up coming back. I'm sure the draft stock wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be. And this year, I'm telling you, Fran, he looks smart. You know, his teammates call him that quarterback of the defense. He plays right in the middle of that middle linebacker spot. And he kind of rotates between him and Amari Bernie. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to claim to have watched every single college football game, but I would be, I think people would be hard pressed to find a better duo of downhill attacking linebackers mm. than Amari Bernie and Ventrell Miller. Miller's recognition is so fantastic this year. He's a great run defender. He's great when he's going towards the pocket as a pass rusher as well. He's a sure tackler. And I'll tell you, you know, I think the reason why he was coming back for that redshirt season is the athleticism was a question mark for him. People were wondering, okay, well, does he really have the athleticism to play in the pros? He was kind of getting exposed a little bit at the college level. But with more experience, he has really gained a lot more anticipation. So he's been able to recognize things before they even happen, put himself in positions to make plays, maybe even with a little bit of a disadvantage athletically. But man, when it comes to a strength profile, when he gets you between the shoulders and when he gets to play between the tackles, this guy is a fantastic downhill linebacker. And now you can tell he understands the game so well. He knows where to be. And even in zone coverage, he knows where to drop. He knows how to look at the quarterback size. And so I'll say that, you know, maybe as a mid-round pick linebacker, a guy who could be a depth player for you, a Sam linebacker, a special teams guy, Ventrell Miller is really making a good name for himself this year. So I mentioned that uh, the NFL uh, Stock Exchange podcast has become part of my uh, part of my routine from a podcast standpoint. Certainly in the summer, uh, you and Connor were doing your positional rankings on a weekly basis. And so I want to ask you, uh, after watching all of those guys in the summer, has there been a player that uh, through, what now, five games uh, of college football this season, they are like, man, like, all right, I was a little too low on him. I'm going to have to be boosting him up here uh, in the coming months. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, Connor and I went into the year and – Fran, you know this, when you, when you talk about what could be a draft class, the first positions that you go to, you look at quarterback first, because everybody knows that draft classes go as quarterbacks go. But then you look at the positions of really high positional value, offensive line, specifically offensive tackle, pass rusher, defensive ends, really. You look at defensive tackles as well, and then maybe corner. And you go, I think wide receiver as well is kind of working its way into that mix. A lot of people love when great wide receivers can headline a class. But when I looked at the offensive tackle class, I had Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern at the top, but I wasn't super bullish on him. I was like, ah, you know, I, I don't know if he's got the athletic ceiling to really hold up down to down, game to game, whatever it is. I'll tell you, man, he's been great. He's been awesome. A lot of that steadiness that he plays with, how it feels like if he gets your hands on you, you're absolutely toast. How well he moves out in space, how smart he is, how smooth he is in his kickbacks, no matter what the angle is he's going for. He is just a such a good offensive tackle prospect. And I mentioned I had him as OT1 going into the year, but I had him right around 20th on my big board, on my preseason big board. I'd have to bump him up now, man. I think that he's threatening as a top 10 player in this class just because of how solid he is. And there are a couple of plays. The big worry that I had going into the year was strength. I felt like there wasn't yep. 
as much anchor as I wanted to see from him. I think he got pushed around a little too much. But even with those things still being a little bit in his game, how well he plays it, how smart he is, you, you can't take that away from him. And look, I got faith in NFL strength and conditioning coaches, NFL nutrition plans. Maybe we pack a little bit more pounds on this guy because he's got the athletic ability to be able to move the way that he needs to. And so, like, we can get this guy a little bit stronger. What's more difficult to teach is how prepared he feels like he is for every single pass rush rep. So he's got an elite overall grade for his PFF. He's got an elite pass blocking grade as well. Has not given up a single sack and only one pressure so far this season. So for a guy that I already had as offensive tackle one, it's not a tackle class that I was super excited about, or at least wasn't as solidified. There was a lot of potential in it. Hadn't seen it yet. Skaronsky's putting it out on tape, man. I think he's having a fantastic year. Trevor, uh, just conversely, is there a player that you did not do a lot of work on coming into the year or even up to this point that uh, they've just caught your eye hard? We're like, man, like, all right, I I have to do this guy soon because uh, he is really, you know, putting a lot of good stuff on tape so far this season. Dude, I don't know how many Kansas players I've watched over the years (laughs) because it is not many. It's really not. But they got a quarterback at Kansas, yeah, Jalen Daniels, who I am super intrigued about. I have not gone back to watch the All-22 to break down the games of his yet, but just watching live. Yeah. I mean, he's got Kansas at 4-0. and he, we, we've got him at an elite overall grade, elite passing grade. He's got 11 touchdowns, only one interception, seven big-time throws to just two turnover-worthy plays. He's a shorter quarterback. He's six feet tall, 210, 215 pounds. But man, is he fun. I've, like I said, I've only watched the broadcast film, but the confidence in which this guy is playing feels incredible. And I've done some reading up on him since. You know, he started that COVID adjusted year where Kansas think, went 0 and 9. And Daniel's stats were bad. I mean, he was completing less than 50% of his passes. Kansas was terrible on offense. He ended up sitting for most of the year in 2021 before getting the starting job back this year. And it just feels as though that he has learned so much from the failures of his past when he was just a 17-year-old freshman trying to start for Kansas in that 2020 season. And now, whether it's been those physical reps that he got in 2020 or those mental reps that he got on the bench when he was sitting as a backup in 2021, whatever that went into, motivation, work ethic, extra time to see the field, it has come out and it has produced a playmaker in Jalen Daniels. So I, I don't know, man, you know, people talk about that all the time. They ask me the question like, Hey, who's the next Joe Burrow? Who's the next guy who's going to come out of nowhere. It might just be Jalen Daniels. Cause at what I've seen Saturday to Saturday, the broadcast film, he has been unbelievably fun to watch such a great playmaker, such a confident football player right now. And I can't wait to dive into his tape a little bit more. And not to be forgotten in that equation, Lance Leopold and the job that he's doing uh, out there. Just an outstanding yes. scheme. He's yes. won wherever he's been. Uh, just a, a really fun story so far with the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, last question for you, Trevor. It's one I ask all of our guests. Who's your guy? Who, who's a guy that you would say, like, all right, I know I'm higher on the consensus. I don't have a, 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 a true why behind it. Call it a gut feeling. But you just feel like, yeah, this is one of my guys here for the 2023 NFL draft. All right, I'll give you three names okay. because I like to talk and uh, I like <laughs> to talk about the NFL draft. So uh, Sean Tucker is somebody that I love. The running back from Syracuse, I think he's a total package, man. I really do. I had him as RB2 going into the season right behind Texas' B. John Robinson. I think he's got the build. I think he's got the acceleration, the soft hands. I think he can run through contact. He's got a great force miss tackle per attempt rate. I really do think that this guy can be the total package. Another running back, Blake Corum. I was so excited to see Blake Corum this year without Hassan Haskins next to him. Now, it's not like Blake Corum's getting every carry for Michigan, but we saw a week ago over 200 yards on the ground, man. I mean, how well that he has played. And it's the skill set beyond the stats that I love the most about Blake Corum. The footwork, the agility, the control. Some people would say, okay, he doesn't have that home run speed. He's more of an agile guy than he is a track sprinter. But I'll tell you, man, we get caught up in that a little bit too much, right? A lot of people love when you can hand it to a running back and and you've got this fantasy in your head to say he could break it 60 yards to the house in any second. Sure, that's great to bring to the table. But you know what happens a lot more often? 
having to make a guy miss within chaos and clutter and turning a one yard gain into a four yard or a five yard gain. Yep. That is what Blake Corum does so well. He's also fearless for a player, his size and pass protection. He's got really nice hands and that body control and that footwork makes it great for him to run some routes, even as a slot receiver. So I, I think Blake Corum is also more of a three down pack than people are giving him credit for. Last one I'll bring to the table though, Kansas state edge rusher. Uh, Shout out to the state of Kansas, I guess. Talking about a Kansas player, talking about a Kansas State player. Felix Anudike Azuma, their edge rusher there. More of a hand-in-the-dirt, heavy-handed, even front defensive end than a stand-up outside linebacker that we're seeing a lot of people love as their edge rushers. But this dude is powerful, man. Because he's a little bit bigger of a size, he doesn't have as much bend as some of these other lighter outside linebacker-type pass rushers. But when he gets his hands on you, man, he is pushing. He'll give you a mean-ass push-pull, and you will be flying next to his hip as he is going up towards the quarterback. He loves the dip and rip move as well. He's got a nice pass rush arsenal. He likes to use the long move, the, the long arm move. He uses that speed to power very, very well. So this is a guy who I, I do think that he has so much in his toolbox. And because of the athletic abilities and the strength level that he plays with, I don't think there's going to be too much of an adjustment period with him going on to the NFL. I think he is a pro already. It's just a matter of can we get more into it? Can he pass rush with a plan even better than he does now? So those are three names when a lot of people talk about this draft class. I don't feel like they're getting enough hype. I'm trying to hype them up a little bit and I'll put my flag on them as some of my guys early on. You asked Trevor Sikamo a question. You are always going to get hashtag three names minimum. Uh, Trevor, <laughs> thanks so much for the synergy there. Uh, really, really appreciate you once again jumping on with us at the Journey of the Draft podcast. Make sure you go check out Trevor's work uh, on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Appreciate it, Fran. Anytime. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Let's keep the show rolling here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell. And Ben, we're going to talk through uh, the matchups we're most excited to see here. A matchup to watch. Uh, I'll kick it off. I'm going to go to the Big 12. Oklahoma, TCU, 12 o'clock, ABC. Let's take a look at Sooners wide receiver Marvin Mims going up against TCU corner Travius Hodges-Tomlinson. Uh, they've got a couple corners in that secondary, but Hodges-Tomlinson's a player that has really stood out to me over the course of his career. I love him in off coverage. I love his tenacity, the tenacity he plays with. He's got the ability to finish on the ball. He's undersized, got a little bit of an injury history, but nothing too, too uh, crazy. I, I think when you look at him, he's got the ability to be a top three corner for someone in the NFL. And Marvin Mims is a guy that jumped onto the scene as a true, true, as a true freshman a couple of years ago. Uh, I think when you look at his versatility, his ability to win at all three levels of the field, he's not a true burner, but this is a guy that has the ability to finish on the football. He catches it as well as anybody uh, in this class. So to me, I look at Marvin Mims and Travis Hodges, Tomlinson. That's a fun matchup here in the big 12. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. It's a fun week in college football. There's five rank first rank matchups, a few in the SEC, Alabama, Arkansas, but my eyes are on Kentucky Ole Miss. Noon, Saturday, ranked first rank, number seven, Kentucky. I believe Against so. number 14, 14 Ole Miss. Yep. Prospects everywhere. But I want to see Will Levis play action pass, push the ball down the field against that Ole Miss secondary. We've been talking about Ashim Young, uh, Otis Reese, the Georgia transfer, A.J. Finley on the back end as well. They have a big bruising running back as well, uh, Smoke. We'll see if uh, Troy Brown can wrangle him down. Bit yep. of an undersized linebacker, the yes. transfer from Central Michigan. Michigan, but one of the leading tacklers in the SEC right now and looks like his transition to the Power Five in the SEC has been seamless. So a little undersized, but he's really athletic. Just want to see him battle against the 225-pound backs in the SEC now that we're getting to kind of in the middle of conference play there. So Kentucky, Ole Miss, prospects all over the field, both sides of the ball, noon Saturday. I think that's the premier matchup early in the day. Yeah, I love seeing these these matchups early on uh, in this uh, slate of games here on Saturday. Two conference battles that are really important for those two conferences uh, right off the top here at, at 12 noon on Saturday. Uh, how about for most to gain? A guy who could really benefit from a strong weekend. I'll let you kick this one off. Well, the Clemson-NC State game, I think, is going to get a lot of eyeballs this week. And I think so much focus is on Clemson, and certainly their defense is loaded. NC State's 4-0. And they got some prospects on both sides of the ball, too. Thayer Thomas at receiver, Devin Leary, nice combination. But on defense, linebacker Drake Thomas and corner Tyler Baker-Williams. I just circle this game on that calendar for NC State. It's the game I want to go right to, it being a, uh, an evaluator for the next level. Two really strong defensive prospects, Tyler Baker-Williams. This is just NC State 
you know, type of pedigree through and through. Great pound for pound strength, really strong player, good run support, good tackler, finds the ball down the field. I don't know if the NFL is going to covet his traits and his testing. He's a guy that's going to go on day three and have a nice, you know, career in the NFL, just filling out the back end of uh, defensive back rooms because of his special teams, his toughness, his versatility. So NC State, they've been pumping a lot of pros, uh, prospects to the pros lately. So don't sleep on them. And I expect some of them to make some big plays uh, against Big DJ. Oh, it's funny. Like I actually went into that matchup with uh, with his category as well. And you just mentioned him at the, at the end there. Uh, quarterback DJ Uyanglele, the quarterback from Clemson. Um, he had the down year last year. This was the first year taking over for Trevor. Lawrence and he had those two starts back as a true freshman for Lawrence and flat. I mean, they will, they beat Notre Dame on the road, right? And they, he had the, the game against NC state, I believe. Uh, and I think when you look at Uyanglele, uh, the traits are all there. I mean, he's big, he's athletic. He's got a cannon for an arm. I think when you look at it, he just has not uh, you know, reached that ceiling yet. And still a young quarterback, but had a huge game last week against Wake Forest, five touchdowns, almost 400 yards passing another 52 rushing. So I think when you look at Uyanglele, if he can put another big performance here against another ranked team, a tough defense, like you mentioned there with NC State, now I think Uyangalale kind of goes from, oh, well, is he going to get benched for the true freshman five star? Is he is his job safe? To, all right, well, now let's start talking about his next level prospects again. So Uyangalale coming into last year, everybody was super high on. He was going to be what Anthony Richardson uh, was coming into that this season, right? Uh, but fell off as the season went on. We'll see if he can start to stack some games together. So uh, that, I'm going to go with the, the Clemson quarterback there in that category. And it looks like he's developing a bit of a connection and a go-to guy there with Bo Collins. And I think the receiver room in Clemson took a little bit of a turnover, some young guys getting thrusted in, some transfers. Had to figure out who were the guys that were reliable, who does he maybe have a connection with now that he's the guy under center. Bo Collins out there seems like he's the go-to target, maybe a smidge over Joseph Nada or, you know, Davis Allen there at tight end. All right, so let's go to our prospects after dark. Who's the guy playing in a game 8 o'clock or later start time-wise? Uh, and I'm going to go out west. USC going up against Arizona State, 10:30 start here. Uh, ESPN. Let's look at the, the, the reigning Blitnikoff Award winner the, as the top receiver in college football a year ago, uh, and that's Jordan Addison. He was catching passes from Kenny Pickett and, and Pitt a year ago. Now he's out west catching passes for Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, and USC. Addison. Catches everything. This is a guy that is, again, he's rarely going to put the ball on the ground. Uh, I think he's got some solid route running chops. He's not like a, a top flight athlete, but at the end of the day, this is a guy who has shown the ability to separate, and he's a really good finisher at the catch point. He got, And that's something where he has improved over the course of his career, Ben. He had some drop issues early in his career uh, playing for the Panthers, um, but really turned it around last year, obviously, with that huge season and uh, is, is keeping it rolling here with USC. Well, as impressive of the season and two-year campaign that Jordan Addison is on, you know, having won the one the Blitnikoff it's actually receiver Jacob Cowing at Arizona leading the conference in receptions and yards yes he is tied with receiving touchdowns with Addison with six but Jacob Cowing don't forget came over from UTEP very productive player 1300 yards last year all conference and picked up right up where he left off he's extremely productive this year now the whole thing is he's 5'11 175 but he catches everything, makes mm. a lot of the junk catches, those third down catches, the you know the errant throws, quarterback's best friend type. Reminds me a lot of like Jameson Crowder. I don't think he's going to wow you with speed, explosiveness, size, anything other than just making those grabs on third down for you. So he's got a game up against Colorado, 9.30 p.m. late Saturday night. So I don't see a whole lot of challenge in that Colorado secondary. So Jacob Cowing, already a hot start, already leading the Pac-12 in receiving. I expect him to pull away just a little bit from Jordan Addison and company. All right, well, let's get to our next one here. Call our shot, where we're going to predict a big game from one of the prospects uh, taking the field this weekend. Uh, ben, you and I last week kind of went 0 for 2. Uh, you, you had Cedric Tillman, uh, the Tennessee wide receiver, going up against Florida. He was a late scratch, an unexpected injury there for Tillman. Hopefully he's back on the field this weekend. Uh, I picked Rasheed Rice, the wide receiver from SMU, has been so explosive. Well, TCU, they limited to 6 for 74, uh, season low 12.3 yards per catch uh, against uh, that TCU secondary. So uh, we'll see if we can do a little bit 
bit better this week. Who, who do you got for us? You know, and the college rules reporting injuries and the injury reports are different than the NFL. The NFL is spoon-fed. You get the practice reports daily, limited, who's in, who's out, doubtful, questionable, all the way up to the game. College football, I don't know how it works. Seemingly, they show up on Saturday and you figure out who's in and who's out. So, unfortunately, didn't get to see old right. uh, Cedric Tillman out there last week against Florida, despite Tennessee looking pretty hot. Four, yes. 4-0, riding high. Let's get them on TV before their season falls apart. But big Jalen Duncan, Maryland, like facing Michigan, Michigan State. Fun matchup out there. I hate to say it. I think this is where Jacoby Winman's buzz kind of goes to die. Ooh. Had a huge week one with all those pressures, the five sacks. It's been a little quiet since then. You know, he's gotten his hands on some quarterbacks, maybe not in the sack total like we had hoped. Good run defender as well. He's a versatile player, plays a little bit of off ball in space as well. I think Jalen Duncan pitches a shutout this week and kind of tells uh, Jacoby Winman, yeah, when you face a big NFL tackle, NFL-style prospect, it's not so easy out there in the Big Ten. So I think Jacoby Winman's season is about to get a little tougher as he gets into conference play and starts to face the uh, the Penn States, Ohio States, and so on. I love it. Well, I'm going to stick in the Big Ten here, looking at Ohio State going up against Rutgers. And uh, Zach Harrison, big defensive end, former five-star recruit for the Buckeyes. Uh, really kind of, uh, you know, the, the bullseye has been on him for the last couple of years and look at him as, okay, this guy could be the next great Ohio State defensive end. And he hasn't quite reached that ceiling yet, but this could be a big game here against Rutgers. They've got the worst pressure, pressure percentage on offense in the entire Big Ten Conference. That offensive line has been leaky all season long. Let's look for, Ohio, for Harrison and the Ohio State defensive line uh, to eat here against the Scarlet Knights. I know that in that Temple game, they were able to create a lot of pressure. Big reason why uh, they were able to stay in that football game. In full disclosure, I think the Ohio State offense has been getting so much buzz this year with, you know, going in with Jackson Smith and Jigba. The Marvin Harrison's exciting. Oh, C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, Paris Johnson switching positions. Cade Stover, we got to learn about him at tight end, Fran. We haven't heard a lot about this defense. You know, I feel like some of the stars, Denzel Burke, I believe, missed last week's game. Haven't heard what Zach Harrison's been doing a whole lot, a little behind on their film so far. Just feel like the offense has been getting a lot of the buzz, a lot of the attention. Sure. They got some dogs on defense out there. So I'm excited to find the film and to see who's been contributing because a lot of the headlines, the buzz, the highlights, offensive side of the ball so far. All right, well, let's get to our next category here, our comparison chat. And uh, we will reuse an NFL comparison, a profile, a player that is taking the field here on Saturday. Uh, For me, I'm going to take a look at Jordan Battle. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show as well, a little bit later in the segment. Uh, This is a well-rounded player, a guy that I think can uh, can be very versatile. He can line up as a split safety. He can play in the post. He can play in the box. He can do a little bit of everything. Good pass defender, good, good run defender. He can blitz off the edge. But I don't know that he's like an elite physical specimen, right? And I think that when I look at a player like Deron Harmon, when Harmon was coming out of Rutgers, very similar profile. Harmon, I believe, was a second-round pick, if memory serves, right, for, for the New England Patriots. And he has stuck around as a long, as a uh, player for a long, long time. He has been kind of like a hired gun in the secondary the last few years as like a, uh, like a starter or an impact role player in sub-package. And I feel like Jordan Battle could have a very similar career, very similar body type, uh, and very similar skill set, honestly, coming out of college. So uh, maybe it's not like the sexiest comparison, Ben, but Harmon has been a solid starter in the NFL for a long time, a key cog and uh, some good secondaries. I think Battle can have that same career path. No, Harmon's a highly respected player among, you know, NFL coaches and some veteran players out there. Just not, you know, the Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick's of the world at safety that, you know, we obviously set very high expectations for that position. It's a lot of good kind of blue-collar players out there that just show up, do their job, or smart veteran players, and that's really Deron Harmon. So I absolutely see that with the Jordan battle, and that's not a negative compliment. That's absolutely endearing. Um, some fun ones for me with the running back position. I'm absolutely locking in Sean Tucker, Austin Eckler. I think that's just an absolute perfect one-for-one as far as vision between the tackles, burst speed, ability to catch the ball out in space, the screen game as well, size profile seems like a perfect one for one and one of my favorite comparisons I've been kind of massaging this year as we've been seeing more Zach Evans for Ole Miss don't forget the TCU transfer his contact balance is just so elite right up there with B. John Robinson and his ability to handle contact playoff contact finish runs reminds me a lot of Kareem Hunt the way he played at Toledo, his contact balance, his lower leg drive, his ability to kind of play through arm tackles and really lower his pads into contact. Zach Evans is really impressive. The big knock on him, 
We just haven't seen a whole lot of him. Average seven seven a carry his first year at TCU, but that was just over fifty carries, fifty four carries as a true freshman. Didn't even get a hundred carries last year at TCU, despite averaging seven a carry. This year, early in SEC, averaging six a carry, but again, only 59 carries so far. So just want to see Zach Evans in a little bit more of a consistent role. They obviously love to diversify that backfield. There's a lot of mouths to feed on that offense. He's productive every time he gets the ball out there. So Zach Evans, his strength, his contact balance, a lot of the way Kareem Hunt played at Toledo and then early into his career uh, in the NFL. I love those two comparisons, and to certainly to uh, keep in mind, keep an eye on both of those backfields here uh, this Saturday. Ben, uh, let's round this out with our mock draft roundup, where we're just going to pick a mock draft and look at who they've got the Eagles taking, as well as who's coming off the board uh, right now as we sit here and coming up on the, the start of October. In this mock draft this week, coming from SB Nation and their draft analyst, J.P. Acosta, top five picks right off the top here. Atlanta taking Alabama defensive end Will Anderson. Seattle taking quarterback C.J. Stroud at number Number two overall. Number three, another quarterback, Bryce Young from Alabama to the Houston Texans. Carolina Panthers follow suit with another quarterback, three straight quarterbacks off the board with Kentucky's Will Levis. And then at number five, Chicago Bears taking tackle Broderick Jones from the University of Georgia. So Broderick Jones, that's a couple not mock drafts in a row. We've seen him in the top five, Ben, which I don't know that we were talking about uh, just a month ago. Uh, and again, I still think that conversation with Will Anderson versus a quarterback, if it's a team like Atlanta picking number one, is Desmond Ritter enough? Is Marcus Mariota enough to say, yeah, we're going to pass on Stroud and Young and Levis and you know whoever else you want to consider uh, at that at that point uh, in the draft? I, I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion here in the next few months. That said, let's fast forward to uh, number seventeen, which is the first Eagles selection here for the uh, for for this team in this mock draft. And JP has them selecting Oregon linebacker Noah Sewell. Now, there were no blurbs here in this mock draft here, Ben, but I just find that uh, it's going to be so fascinating over the next you know, few weeks with the Eagles playing so well, with Jalen Hurts performing as well as he's, going, as, as he's performing right now. I don't think anybody knows what to give the Eagles in these mock drafts. They've got two first-round picks. They've got one high up, and then they've got one at the end of the first round. And it feels like they're just going to be like the safety net for – B. John Robinson, Noah Sewell, like the, the quote-unquote like the luxury picks. Like, oh, the Eagles have so much talent. They don't need anybody, but here's this piece that you can just kind of drop in on top. And it feels like Sewell, that's going to be one of, the, that's gonna be one of the, uh, the safe picks for a lot of mock drafters. Yeah, and I think that's a good position to be in, to not have a desperate need or a hole to fill. I think you want to walk into every draft day in that position. As we always said in the past, you want to go into the draft ready to play a game. And it feels like these this Eagles team kind of transitioning out of the 2022 season looks pretty equipped heading into the draft. So obviously there's a lot to still be decided with free agents and some contracts expiring. Of course. Maybe a couple of retirements here and there with the older roster. But it's a great position to be in. And Noah Sewell, exciting height, weight, speed prospect there coming out of Oregon. Absolute missile and tackling machine. I could see him being an early special team stalwart here. Play off ball and early downs. Maybe even be like a Sam linebacker rush specialist on third down. Right. Uh, we'll see what he uh, can maybe contribute to uh, in coverage uh, here down the stretch of the Oregon season. Do you think he could play like that kind of Sam linebacker role? Uh, do you feel like he's that kind of athlete? See, he's really interesting in that I don't know if he has the length uh, to really kind of be a premier pass rusher. I love him in space, um, but I also love him in a phone booth and his physicality. So I kind of want him up at the point of the attack, you know, maybe beating up on some tight ends and chasing quarterbacks out of the pocket. So I could see him maybe fitting Jonathan Gannon's kind of Sam linebacker role. Maybe not as juicy as a Jannard Avery or Hassan Reddick, but maybe a little bit more versatile positionally, also being able to contribute some more off-ball and some early downs. I love it. All right, well, let's get to uh, the, the players that went in that area, the three that went before Noah Sewell in this mock draft. Number 14, the Patriots taking LSU's Kayshawn Boutte, the star wide receiver. At 15, the Raiders taking Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson. And then at 16, Arizona taking Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy. The three that went after, the Colts, wide rec- Colts taking wide receiver Jordan Addison from USC. We already talked about him here on the show. The Dallas Cowboys taking Florida nose tackle Jervon Dexter. And then the Bengals at 20 taking Jalen Duncan, the tackle that you highlighted a little bit earlier, Ben. So uh, we've talked about a couple of these players already, but which of these picks, these six picks here, make the most sense to you and why? You know, it's got to be Paris Johnson going to the Raiders. 
and I think they have glaring needs at the offensive line. Potentially need to replace three starters after this season with that offensive line unit. And I know you're thinking Paris Johnson, but they have left tackle Colton Miller. Get better players in that offensive line room and figure it out afterwards. And he's already shown that he can play. No he's question. Right guard. He, he might play, play right guard. He might yep. play left guard. He might be the future right tackle. He might move Colton Miller over because he's such a high-level prospect. So add good players to this offensive line room and the Raiders. I think they're lacking some depth. I think they're lacking some youth talent on the back end. I like seeing Thayer Munford in there, maybe the future right tackle. But they got to add more talent to this room. And the one surprising pick in there okay. was probably Dexter going to the Cowboys. Mm. You know, a Cowboys team right now certainly can use some offensive line depth, certainly use some receiver depth that's behind, behind C.D. Lamb yeah. out there. Man, that's a good point. Seven is loaded yeah, right now. Yeah. So that's just kind of a luxury of riches right now, just adding another high-level prospect and being obviously an Eagles-based podcast. Would hate to just see a 6'6 monster <laughs> like Dexter there in the division to face twice a year. You're, you're with me that Dexter is like that quality of player. You just don't think that that, that would make sense from a Dallas team building no standpoint. No question. And it would obviously be a nice compliment to some of their other trench players. Sure, you know, right. Diggy Zua is more of the squatty type. Dexter's the long type. That's very much like a Chris Jones, Derek Nottie combo, which would be uh, absolutely dangerous. I, I really like the Jordan Addison to Indianapolis Colts fit. They, uh, they're, yeah. they're looking for guys that could just be really reliable pass catchers. Um, obviously, they, they they added Alec Pierce from Cincinnati in the second round of this mock or in this draft uh, in the 2022. But I think when you look at Addison, he's not like a uh, a burner per se. And I think they always are looking for like speed and traits, and they kind of value that. But uh, again, just looking for reliable pass catchers, and Addison certainly uh, brings that to the table. Um, let's go to the next pick here for the Eagles, and that's at 28 overall. Uh, Jordan Battle, the safety from Alabama. We, we were talking about him a little bit earlier, Ben, and uh, this is the second week in a row now that we have seen Battle in this slot to the Eagles. And again, I just feel like the Eagles now with two first round picks playing that the way that they're playing, they're just going to be like these safety nets. It's going to be like uh, they have two picks in every mock. I guarantee you in every mock draft, we are going to see like some combination of Bijan Robinson, uh, Jordan Battle, Noah Sewell, uh, and we'll throw in like Jameer Gibbs, right? As like the, the, that's going to be the landing spots for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to have Jordan Battle in my defensive back room. I think he's going to be an early contributor in special teams, which he was an absolute ace and a major contributor there at Alabama for nearly four or five years. So I absolutely love Jordan Battle and his transition in, just weighing the the class of safeties, which I think is pretty deep and, is, and exciting, and who's still on the board there. So I think the Eagles are going to be at a really – advantageous spot there at 28 to kind of go in a number of different directions. And I think Jordan Battle would be a nice addition. All right, so the three players that went before Jordan Battle in this mock draft, Detroit Lions taking Texas A&M safety, Antonio Johnson at 25. At 26, uh, the Chargers taking wide receiver Josh Downs. And at 27, the Green Bay Packers selecting Quentin Johnson, the wide receiver from TCU. Uh, Very popular selection in mock drafts, it feels like, in recent weeks. The three that went after... Texas running back Bijan Robinson at 29 uh, to the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Kansas City Chiefs at 30, taking Notre Dame pass rusher Isaiah Foskey. And then at 31, the Buffalo Bills, for the second week in a row, winning this mock draft, uh, taking Andrew Voorhees, uh, interior offensive lineman from USC. Ben, uh, which of those six picks comes off as the best value in the back end of round one in your mind? Well, the combination of Bijan Robinson falling to 29 for yep. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously a contending team, we're going to assume heading into 2023. But then also just fitting their positional needs. Yeah. You know, getting a little bit younger behind Leonard Fournette out there, adding a little bit more versatility to that room, some dual threat ability, which Bijan is an outstanding receiver too. So I think some of his contact balance and barreling through defenders, it's all over his highlights. This guy catches the ball well too. Yep. He could be a dangerous threat out there. So looking behind Leonard Fournette, Rashad White, Keyshawn Vaughn right now at the Tampa Bay Bucks, that's a perfect need, perfect fit, and absolutely steal of value to get running back one in this class at the 29th overall pick. And you think about it like a skill set standpoint, Rashad White does a lot of those things, so that kind of player is certainly something that they view as being able to fit in that I offense. I feel like Bijan's a combination of Rashad White and Leonard Fournette. Right, yeah. Like, it's those two guys yeah, together, and you're, and you're getting that three-down value out of, you know, in one player. Uh, Texas A&M safety Antonio Johnson at 25 just feels like rivalry to me, so yeah, like him falling to that point in the first round, uh, I think is a, a really good selection there. Um, all right, last question for you. I'm going to pick four guys in this mock draft that we always we see in the top 15. We see him in the top 15 here in this one. And I want to ask you two questions off of these four players. You've got Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer, 
Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson, Northwestern left tackle Peter Skaronsky, and Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. Four of these guys, all of them almost always in mock dra- in the top 15 in mock drafts. Who is most likely to go that high? Who is least likely to go that high as we're now uh, entering the month of October, Ben? I think the most likely to go that high is going to be Peter Skaronsky. Wow. Okay. I think just the way the NFL values tackles, high-level tackle prospects, and just the dire need for high-level tackles across the NFL and depth. I think we're seeing that heading into week four of the NFL, Fran. There's some offensive line units that are absolutely swish cheese right now, not only with lacking some starting talent going into the year, no depth behind them, and there's some contending playoff teams that uh, their offensive line units are major question marks right now. So I think the need for offensive line talent will always be there, Mm. and I don't think this springtime is going to change. So Peter Skaronsky, whether you want to call him tackle one ahead of Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson or tackle four or five, I think he's still, I think ends he's up still that going high. there. Yep. You know, I think that's what we've seen consistently across the last 10 years of drafts. How about less like, least likely? Least likely, I hate to say it. I love Michael Mayer. I just don't see him falling into that category. That kind of I category. think he's a yep. B plus, A minus kind of everything. Yep. I just don't know what his wow trade is to get you in there. I think, you know, the Eric Ebrahms in the top 10, Vernon Davis, we know their upside in the pass game. The TJ Hawkinsons, OJ Howards of the world, we kind of know what they were going to do in the run game for you. I like him. I think he's a very well-rounded prospect. He ain't coming off the field. He's playing wide tight end for me. I think he's more of an early day two pick, unfortunately. Um, I don't think he's going to test exceptionally, and that's okay. We all know how much I talk about winning at the top of routes, stick moves, head nods, and catching the football. But once you get into the combine, shorts and a t-shirt, he might be a 4'6 guy, and you know he might be a 35-inch vert guy, and it won't wow you or excite you considering the freaks across college football and into the pros. So Michael Mayer is going to be a good pro, in my opinion. I think a little bit in the Pat Fryermuth kind of district of the draft, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, the reason I, I highlighted those four guys is I feel like you can make an argument with both categories for all four of them, right? There's You could see a pathway to all four staying there and all four dropping out. So uh, I was interested to kind of get this, your thoughts this there. Close as I'm pinching my fingers together of picking uh, Simpson. No, I was going to say Smith and Jigba. Yeah, that's the thing. Is he all four yeah. of them? You can make that argument. No, yeah, no question. And Simpson too. You know, yeah. the the hybrid kind of positionless yeah. athletic linebacker hasn't gone great lately. Yep. Um, so you know, I think some people want to point to Isaiah Simmons, kind of fitting coming out of Clemson, similar prospect. Um, but there have been other ones that you know go high up there. So if you feel like you're getting a Derwin James type. <clears throat> You take them all day long, and, and you're laughing about it. So I don't think Simpson will be viewed in that regard, uh, despite being a pretty high-level prospect. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun conversation, and uh, uh, one we'll continue to have right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by LifeBrand. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, back once again here for Pick 6, my friend Ross Tucker. And, Ross, uh, rough week for you, my man. I extended my lead here by four points. Uh, just real quick, we'll go through it. Uh, two points in Notre Dame over North Carolina. I took the Irish. I got one point in our either-or where I took the uh, Trenton Simpson tackles over A.T. Perry catches in that Clemson-Wake Forest game. And then I picked up another point uh, in the Iowa margin of victory over the uh, over Rutgers in the uh, Rams power ranking from the Ross Tucker football podcast. You ranked the, the Rams at number seven this week, and Iowa won by 17. So uh, both of our upset, upset picks got waxed uh, here this weekend, Ross. But uh, four-point lead, that gives me a lead of 23 to 11 uh, here as we go into week five. Yeah, not good. Not good. I really need to hit on my upset badly. And I should have made the Rams 18th in my power rankings, <laughs> even though they won. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that you had you had some control of this one, and you technically have some control in one of the picks I've got here uh, for us this week. But uh, let's start at the very top, and we'll go with a pick 'em. And just as a refresh for everybody, the pick 'ems here in this game uh, count as two points in our final tally. So first one, we're gonna go to the Big 12. This is a big one here in the Big 12, Ross. Number 16 Baylor, number nine Oklahoma State. Who do you got here in this one? Taking Baylor. Yeah, I mean, Baylor is at home, and I feel like Oklahoma State is kind of due for a loss. I mean, that's just kind of the way college football works, right? It's so hard to win every one of your games. And if Oklahoma State, you look at their schedule, okay, well, what game are they going to lose? This would be a game they would lose, right? On the road at Baylor against a good Baylor team. By far the best team that Oklahoma State has played this year. Uh, give me the Baylor Bears at home. 
I, I actually prepared uh, to take the Bears as well. Uh, I, you look back at the two matchups a year ago because these two teams faced in the Big 12 title game. Uh, quarterback Spencer Sanders, the senior quarterback for the Cowboys, Seven picks in two games last year against that Baylor defense. Uh, Dave Aranda, one of the best defensive minds in the entire country. Uh, Oklahoma pa- Oklahoma State's pass defense also has really, really struggled. I would expect the Baylor offense to take advantage of that. So I will take the Baylor Bears as well. Let's now go to the SEC. Another uh, top 15 matchup here, Ross. We've got number seven, Kentucky. Number 14, Ole Miss. Two undefeated teams here. Who do you like in this one? Wow, does that sound crazy? Number seven, Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. That doesn't happen very often. Um, I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I don't necessarily feel great about it because I love Kentucky. I'm a big Will Levis guy. But I do think it's hard to win a lot of road games in the SEC. Mm. And obviously, Kentucky already got a big one with their win over the Florida Gators. I just – I'm not going to pick them to do it at Ole Miss as well. Wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky won at all. This is back and forth for me, but I'll take Ole Miss at home because, again, Kentucky's going to lose at some point, and this would be one of the games they would lose. Interesting. I actually I felt like you would go Kentucky here on this one. I actually felt a little bit more wishy-washy about the Big 12 matchup than I do about this one. I feel good about Ole Miss uh, in this game. That defense has been playing really, really well. Um, look, this is their first uh, like SEC opponent, Ole Miss, so uh, this is their, uh, their first big test so far. I think both teams are coming off of – you know, not the most impressive wins last week. It was a little bit closer than you'd like against Tulsa and Northern Illinois. But I think when you look at Kentucky's offensive line, they struggled a little bit in protection. Will Levis, he's got the propensity to turn the ball over and put it in harm's way. This old Ole Miss defense has been opportunistic. Uh, so give me the Rebels. Uh, I will side with you here uh, with the pick'em. So each of those are going to count two points t- towards the tally. These next three categories, one point uh, in the final tally. Next one, we're going to go to the NC State Clemson, another ranked versus ranked team uh, or matchup here. And we're going to look at senior quarterback Devin Leary for NC State. And we're going to say against this tough Clemson defense, one and a half total touchdowns for Devin Leary in this game against the Tigers. Well, I'm going over. Um, uh, Look, Clemson's D-line is beastly. We've talked about that. They have a very good defense overall. You mentioned Simpson and the tackles last week. But Wake just put up a bunch of points on them. I think Devin Leary is a very good player. I think he'll put up some points. He only needs to get two touchdowns. I mean, NC State's going to get three touchdowns at least somehow. And if they do, I think Devin Leary accounts for two of them. So like the over with Devin Leary's one and a half total touchdowns. I'm going to take the under, uh, and I think I, when you look at that Clemson defensive front uh, that you alluded to, I think going up against this NC State offensive line, I really like the matchup in favor of Clemson uh, in that regard. Uh, this defense has talent at all three levels. Give me uh, give me Clemson to kind of put the clamps down on this NC State offense. I will take the Clemson Tigers. Let's go to the next one here, and either or, and again, a one-pointer. Um, this Wake Forest offense you just alluded to, they've got the, the towering wide receiver, A.T. Perry. We, we mentioned him in this segment a week ago. Well, they're going up against Florida State, who when was the last time Florida State was ranked at this point in the season, Ross? Uh, they were ranked number 23, and they've got a, a towering receiver in their own right in Johnny Wilson, the transfer from Arizona State. So which of the, uh, the, the big receivers in this game has more catches at the end of the day, is it going to be Johnny Wilson? And we'll say, I'll give the, if it, if it is a push, we'll give it to Johnny Wilson because he's the lesser known name. Johnny Wilson or A.T. Perry? I'm going to go with A.T. Perry. You just threw the push thing in there on me yes, right I now. Yes, I did. Which I did. threw yes, me off right. a little I bit. But I didn't I'm going to still That's go call. with A.T. Perry because I, I think there's a decent chance that this is a tough spot for Wake Forest after that emotional Clemson game. Yeah. You know, double overtime. I think there's a pretty good chance that Wake Forest will be behind in this game on the road. And I think because they're behind, they got to throw it more. That means more A.T. Perry. So I'll go A.T. Perry to have more catches as Wake Forest tries to battle back because I think they'll probably get off to a bad start. Yeah, just looking at him, I mean, A.T. Perry, he's 6'5", 205. Uh, big possession, boundary kind of receiver. Leads Wake Forest with 15 catches uh, on the day. He's had four-plus in each of the last three weeks. So he's been very, very consistent with his production. Uh, Johnny Wilson at Florida State, 6'7", 235, Ross. Just a, a mammoth receiver. And he leads Florida State with 13 catches on the year. But 
He had seven of them uh, and two touchdowns against Louisville a couple of weeks ago. He had that huge game. Dane Brugler broke it down here uh, on the podcast. So he's been a little bit more up, uh, up and down, a little bit more inconsistent. I'll take Wilson. Uh, I'm going to say, obviously, like Florida State, I think they're going to have to throw throw the ball to keep up with this Wake Forest offense. Uh, and if they're going to throw it, I think Wilson is going to be the benefactor. Uh, give me uh, give me Johnny Wilson here in this head-to-head matchup. So we'll go back and forth there on the either-ors. Let's now go to another one-pointer, our high-low. This is a fun one, Ross. Which number is higher? The number of touchdowns that the entire Stanford team, offense and defense, scores against Oregon or – the number of daddy sodas that you have on Saturday night. Uh, the, I, I texted you earlier today. I said, what's the average number of daddy sodas you might have on a Saturday night after uh, you know after college football starts to wind down? Uh, you said it was anywhere from like three to five. And so the total touchdowns for Stanford or your daddy soda intake, I picked the latest game on the Saturday slate for this reason. So there was a little bit of, uh, of gamesmanship there on my part. I am going to require a little bit of honor system here uh, on your end as well, Ross. Yeah, I'm going with my daddy sodas. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think um, I think Stanford probably only scores about two or three touchdowns, and um, I think I'm going to have more than that. I'm, I'm confident. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of factors here, right? Like, yes. <laughs> do I go out to dinner with my wife or not? Um, what kind of beers do I drink? Am I drinking, like, double IPAs, or am I drinking, like, a light beer? A lot of factors here. And you're right. I can't control it other than my intake. I can't, I don't know how many points or <laughs> touchdowns Tamper's going to have, but I'll go with the over. All right. So just to make this interesting, I'm going to take Stanford just because I want to see uh, how this plays out. You look, uh, Stanford, it's been a little bit of a down year for them. They do have some pieces on offense uh, to be able to watch here in this game. Uh, but uh, I, I will take Stanford just to see if they can put up a few touchdowns and keep up uh, with your daddy soda intake, Ross. But uh, our last one here, our upset special. And as you mentioned, these are the these are the, the deciding factors. These are eight points, and we could pick uh, a big upset of the week. I will let you uh, kick us off here this one. Yeah, I thought long and hard about Oregon State, Utah, especially Oregon State disappointed about that performance against USC and Utah losing their tight end. But I'm going to go with Navy. You know, these academy games always seem to be low scoring, comes down to the last possession, one score game. So if I'm going to take a big underdog, a big upset. Let me go with the midshipmen, Navy over Air Force. I love it. Uh, and Navy has been a little bit of a, a rocky start uh, so far this season. It hasn't quite been the same level of success uh, that we have seen from them in recent years. But uh, I like that. And picking a, an emotional game, I don't I don't blame you uh, for that one at all. Let's go um, – I'm going to go to the AAC. And I'm going to go Tulsa over Cincinnati. Cincinnati, uh, the uh, one of the better group of five teams, obviously – but I mentioned that Tulsa, they they made it interesting last week against Ole Miss, Ross. It was only a, a one-score game uh, when it was all said and done. Um, to me, and I obviously, look, the, the Ole Miss, they jumped out to an early lead, and Tulsa kind of cl- climbed their way back. Uh, but uh, give me uh, give me Tulsa here uh, as my upset. I, it's, they've got some players on both sides of the football. Remember, Tulsa has done a good job of putting guys into the NFL over the last two, three years. They've been developing some NFL talent. So uh, I will take Tulsa and see if I can get my second upset here of the season. Well, I hope you don't. I, since Tulsa's been playing pretty well. I don't know that they'll beat Cincinnati, though. I'm going to be real mad if Oregon State beats Utah. Real <laughs> mad. Is that the other one I'm considering? Well, and the, the, here's the thing, though, is that if you are really mad, maybe that affects your daddy soda intake, and that may, may helps uh, cement a win for you in the <laughs> it's high all, It's all tied in together. It's all tied in together. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Ross, good stuff, man. We will talk to you next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennell, Trevor Sycamore. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We'll be back next week.